Welcome to Nothing Makes Perfect, a podcast about practice. My name is Jeremy Fine, your host, and I'd love to talk a bit about where the show is coming from and hopefully where it's going before jumping into today's episode. So I've been coaching people for over 10 years, and a through line in that work has been how we learn physical skills. I find myself less motivated by becoming as strong or as flexible as possible, and much more deeply interested in how does something go from impossible to possible, and what does that process look like for different people? Now, if you're familiar with my work at all, you might associate me with fancy-looking skills like handstands, juggling, Olympic weightlifting, muscle-ups, planches, and I do love all of those things, no doubt, but I'm equally interested in how we learn to crawl, how we learn to type faster at work. It's really the process of learning that fascinates me. So I'll be interviewing people from a whole range of you know, varied interests and experiences. Of course, I'll bring on some of my coaching friends who teach handstands and juggling like I do, but I'll also talk with people who are deeply interested in and knowledgeable about things I know very little about, and I'm super excited about that, And then also people who are less experienced, like what's it like to just be a beginner and walk into a class full of people who are obsessed with something, right? And then finally, I'll look forward to talking to researchers. So there are entire fields of research on skill acquisition and motor learning and people who are, you know, deeply invested in figuring out these questions of like, how does a child learn to crawl? And they'll be able to zoom out, not just look at their own experience, but look at, you know, bigger data samples and and think about how do all people learn things. So with any of these types of interviews, I hope that not only will you be interested in hearing from someone and their experience, but also that it can be helpful and it'll inform your own practice. So I predict not only will an episode where someone's talking about your practice, like let's say you're interested in handstands, of course, when a handstand coach comes on, it'll be super valuable. But also, I think it'll be really interesting to see what you can learn from someone who's interested in a totally different practice. And at least to me, drawing those connections is where the real interesting stuff is. So in today's episode, I got to talk with Gabriel Colby. We've known each other for the past few years online, but as of earlier this year, we actually live in the same city. So we got to sit down in person, drink some coffee and talk about practice. It was truly a special treat for me. Now, Gabriel, as of recently, is a literal professor of trombone. Congratulations on the new gig. He also performs in multiple groups. And then he has these interests in non-musical fields, handstands, juggling, rock climbing, golf. And he was able to bring in a lot of insights where he ties different practices together. So we talked about how to deal with a bad practice, being a professional versus a hobbyist, performing with Jacob Collier, the Jacob Collier, and peak music experiences. Let's get to it. Cool. So you mentioned like you're pretty involved in the scene. I feel like you've told me about at least four different music related jobs you have. Yeah. So right now as like a new professor, a performer in multiple groups and someone who also practices all these like non-musical things, what is the main thing that like for your work you need to be practicing and you are practicing. Something that I'm thinking about a lot lately is just being comfortable with uncertainty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I've realized through some self-work that uh, in some 
way, I really do enjoy the uncertainty of the way that I live my life. Um, but there's just so many unplanned things and so many I don't knows all the time. With uh, related to what to practice, it's sort of a cop-out answer, but it really just depends what's coming up. Mm -hmm. So for example, with the job, which I ended up interviewing for about a month ago, um, I had to prepare a half a recital and then perform that recital, also go through three interviews and then teach uh, half of a lesson, which was 30 minutes. So my practice schedule for that week it, and this almost makes it easier because you don't, deadlines make things easier. So since I, I had, I have to get this half recital together and I have to learn, really know the pieces that I'm going to teach this student. So I knew one of them from studying it um, back in my undergrad and graduate school. But one, I just had to really study and research and kind of learn on my own, get that recital together. Uh, right now, I have a recital with my brass quintet, so also more classical, that I'm preparing for for next Tuesday. And that mostly involves just playing a lot of brass quintet. So I'm practicing that material on my own and then rehearsing with those musicians like every night this week. <laughs> nice. And then following that, there will be different stuff <laughs> coming up. But really, it's just like for music now, I'm at especially when I start teaching, it's going to be almost on a week by week basis. And then realizing this thing, and this is something that working out or any fitness or other skills have working on those skills has taught me is that you can't do everything at once. And maintenance is a lot easier than acquisition. So <laughs> like, I can just let certain parts of my like, I don't have to hit everything every day and making not doing that gives you enough time to stay on top of what you need to be on top of yeah so you're i mean you're talking to someone how long have you been playing trombone like 3500 years yeah exactly <laughs> yeah 3503 years actually <laughs> okay um no i started when i was 10 years old but got more serious a lot more serious about it when i was 16 so like a solid 17 years at this point but yeah 23 if you go by the day yeah yeah so you talk about like acquisition versus maintenance it would be totally reasonable for someone like me who doesn't play any instruments and has no idea what music is to assume like okay you've been playing for 17 years you probably don't even need to practice in order to either perform or teach or do any of these projects you're talking about mm. So what what's like the meat of the maintenance that you need to do to be able to go out on stage or in front of a class? Yeah, personally, um, I find brass playing to be particularly unique in its maintenance requirements. And when I'm talking about brass, I really mean like tuba, euphonium, a baby tuba, uh, French horn, trumpet, trombone those things. So not the woodwinds or, um, yeah, the other wind instruments, the double reeds, for example, brass, we, we blow into a metal mouthpiece and we do that by buzzing our lips. 
And for whatever reason, and I have discussed this with many people, of course there are outliers, um, the muscles required to make this happen have to be in shape and get out of shape really quickly. Yeah. Like we've talked about uh, juggling maintenance, for example. I find juggling much easier to maintain with less work. Uh, but really so much of practice, and this leaves a lot of room for creating or formulating your practice in different ways. But a lot of it is just getting some some work in of these muscles to just keep them conditioned. It's almost like just basic conditioning. So when you're acquiring, like when you're trying to play something you haven't been able to play before, um, or when you're maybe picking up a new instrument, mm -hmm. how is that different? Is it like a completely different experience to you? When I'm practicing something that I don't know, and I wouldn't say, I mean, I don't often learn new instruments all the time. Music's is it's so complex. I mean, I, I feel like it's like a movement practice. So it maybe a movement practice could encompass dance, yoga, weightlifting, rock climbing and running and mm -hmm. like, okay, where do you start with this? <laughs> and so maybe learning a new instrument in that context would be like, you're a rock climber and now you're going to take up swimming. <laughs> like, that, okay, maybe there is some overlap. Like if you were a rock climber before, you understand how to move your body. We're talking about like a completely different medium. And still having some practice actually sets you significantly apart from someone who has never <laughs> moved their body or in this case played music. So there are some fundamentals like rhythm and reading music, depending on the kind of music you are wanting to learn and play. And then, so those are some skills, but really for me, for new stuff, if I'm conditioned enough, which is mostly like, am I in shape on my instrument enough to put in like an hour of solid practice before I need a break, which is its own thing. And there can be some overlap in getting into shape and learning new music at the same time. But a lot of the work on a day to day and preparing for concerts of different types or even preparing for teaching is like, it feels like study in, in a fun way, listening to different recordings, seeing what I like on those recordings, seeing what I don't like, trying it out on my instrument, practicing slowly, quickly, and then with a variety of different techniques that over years you find, oh, this is the way that I need to work on this. And there is a lot of overlap between a lot of other skills I find. And mainly by that, I mean, there are some fundamentals that just work no matter what you're doing. And then I think every person is individual. So you or maybe I am better suited for very, like extremely slow practice, maybe like half speed. And I am gonna learn all my passages, half speed, note perfect. Or maybe someone else has better success playing everything at speed, but just breaking them into very small chunks and working them a chunk at a time. And then th that would just be two little examples. And mostly it's gonna be some mixture of these techniques all the time. So you said some fundamentals that just work. Do you mean for each individual like you were describing? Or do you mean 
in addition to those individual differences, there are also some fundamentals that just work regardless of who you are. I think there... <laughs> Maybe the fundamental that works regardless of who you are is consistency. Okay. <laughs> so at some point with these practices, I don't think you can avoid having to be consistent mm -hmm. at some time, no matter how you're working. And then, yeah, I think, you know, every like warming up or like for, for brass, for example, you'll hear if you're ever around a brass player us talking about long tones and we're just literally playing notes for a long time <laughs> and it's exactly what it sounds like it's and it's really this practice of enjoying just that simplicity it's almost a meditation on these notes and just like other practices like a long tone could be really boring or you can really get into the sound you're making appreciate that for what it is which is like a really good opportunity to sound as beautiful as you possibly can you can build endurance doing that at the same time focus on how you attack the note how you release the note so it, it can be this huge practice that is just a simple fundamental that i probably should have been doing more of literally the first day i picked up the instrument so <laughs> these these things like the fundamentals and basics in all the things that I work on, they always seem to, it goes back to those all the time. Okay, I'm super interested in this concept of long tones. I wasn't familiar with that before. It sounds to me like uh, doing a long isometric hold in the strength realm. Mm -hmm. how, how far off am I so far? <laughs> yeah, it is, it's something like that. For me, I would... Like one of the first things I do with my body every day is just some nice shoulder circles because mm -hmm. I feel like at any point I could do some shoulder circles. Nice. It feels like no, not even, I'm not talking cars, just like really some big circles with my arms. I feel like that's always a really low resistance point for me to start. And I talk to a lot of my personal training clients about this. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Find the thing that you can just do. That it doesn't point. matter. Yeah. Um, and then, so long tones a bit feel like that. Because mm -hmm. you're going to just pick up your horn and it's like, if you're tired, if you're rested, if you're hydrated, not you can play a note and your intent can be to try to make it as beautiful as possible. Maybe with the body. And that's the thing with isometrics. It's not like... I don't, I'm not really using it for the purpose of building strength. You could, mm -hmm. though. <laughs> uh, but really, it's just like kind of to get things moving and to get yourself into that space of uh, making something beautiful and working on your craft. Okay, wait. So I have like kindergarten level questions. I think, I think you may have played more trombone than I have <laughs> in our lives. Um, when talking or singing... Sometimes it feels like your voice is a little hoarse or you're tired and other times it comes out more easily. Mm -hmm. How similar or different to the, is that to just like making those tones with a trombone? Uh, I love that question. I think the best way is to, to describe that or something I've been thinking about lately um, is the more involved with something that you, you are, the more sensitive that kind of becomes. So I was just talking to someone while bouldering recently and 
this girl was is was working on this hard problem, a project for her, and she's like, oh man, like I can tell even when I first touched the rocks that day, like it's not going to be a good day. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, yeah, I know how that feels. And that's like, you know, some days you pick up the trunk and you're like, oh, my lips, they just don't don't feel good today. Okay. Or those of us who do handstands, you put your wrists on the hands on the ground for the first time and you're like, oh no, this is a bad day or I'm going to need a lot of extra warm up today. There's plenty of that. Um, then I realize if it's your profession, mm-hmm. that's where things... <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> that's where things really change, which is why, yeah, when depending on who I'm teaching or what we're talking about, if it's your hobby, I think it really is important to keep having fun with it and remember you don't have to push through. And I think it's tough to... It, it is tough to remember that. And I don't think you can artificially create the experience of like having to perform for people who are going to pay you money or you get fired. So I do think there comes a thing and maybe hand balancing is a great um, analog to this. Like a circus performer is about to do two shows of this thing every day. So whether they're feeling good or bad, they're going to get on stage Mm -hmm. and have a baseline of professionalism which means their their worst day is going to be stage ready on Cirque du Soleil or wherever they are and so that at some point along development you're like yeah it feels terrible I have felt this terrible hundreds of times Mm -hmm. I know how to get myself out of this and at least get to a level where I can perform the way I need to Um, and some days it feels good, but I really do think the main thing, it's like, yeah, running, swimming, anything. You're just like, you get a little more sensitive because you've spent time on it. And then I think back to consistency, the more that you've experienced that you're like, oh man, like I just played a really intense show on my, I've never felt my lips be this tired. Like I've had a couple times in my life and you have that experience and then you're like, Oh yeah, I've I've had that experience a few times. Uh, probably yeah. need to take it easy tomorrow, but I will be fine. Yeah, I was just talking to a handstand client about this yesterday. How we look at those Cirque du Soleil performers you mentioned, and it's like, oh my God, they're doing these incredible feats, and they perform day in and day out. How do they do this? What we don't see is that in practice, they can actually do more incredible feats, and they get frustrated and throw things just like we all do. But like you said, even on their worst day, they can come out on stage and do things we could never dream of. Yeah, I was really nodding my head yes when <laughs> Jeremy was saying that. But it's it's really hard to conceptualize. I mean, even when I perform with a real virtuoso or rock star at whatever they do, and the bot the bottom line that is hard to imagine is it's a show, and that show is under their level of ability it's not it's not really even that close to their end range so what we see i think of athletes music performers anything like the stuff that they do in practice it's on like (laughs) maybe that they get like 25 percent of the time it's hard to even imagine the stuff that we feel comfortable we as performers or yeah a high level performer 
what we're bringing to stage is not the be- the best thing that we are capable of. It's like what we're super consistent with right. and know that we can deliver every day. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, performances at juggling festivals. So it's like jugglers performing for jugglers, like deeply immersed in the subculture. And the acts they put together tend to be pretty different because the juggling audience wants to see the craziest stuff they're working on, the innovation, and they'll be more forgiving of like dropping a bunch of times because they're jugglers and they know that it involves a lot of dropping. So they don't go out on stage and perform the most consistent stuff. They might pull out like the newest thing. They might set a world record on stage because it's fun. But to go out on stage and do that like night in and night out, you can't just like disappoint an audience two thirds of the time. Yeah. And I know we've had this, that what an what is digestible and enjoyable right. for a normal audience. Like as jugglers, I know we've both had the experience of like, well, we just flashed like seven balls and they're like, okay, where's eight? But <laughs> wow, you just ate an apple while you juggled. Yes. Like that's the coolest thing. And that that is the thing that's going to get you paid in a performance. And so there's all of that weirdness too. Yeah, it has to be digestible, relatable. Mm-hmm. So, so far, we've kind of painted you as a professor of trombone. You have a master's degree. You're an expert juggler. All these, like, very impressive sounding things. But we talked a little bit about how even high-level performers are humans <laughs> who get frustrated, right? So, in performance, you talked about how you can go out there as a professional any given day and give a good performance. That's what being a professional is. But in practice... Of course, you must have like those frustrating days. So when, you know, you said on a brass instrument, your lips aren't feeling it or in climbing, maybe it's your hands or your forearms. Like when you're really frustrated, paint like the the worst side of the picture, right? Mm -hmm. Do you quit a practice? Do you power through? How do you treat days like that? Yeah, it's a good question. And I I think um, it the context really depends because certain times say you're under the gun to learn a really hard piece of music and you have to perform it tomorrow night there's a certain point where it you just do what you need to do Mm -hmm. to get that done and that's like something i do like to tell people and that's the difference between like a hobby And then that line does get weird because I've been obsessed with things that are my hobbies (laughs) and have felt this way, even though there is no no real pressure, external pressure, I should say. Um, But the amount of time that that process takes is is just the amount of time that it takes. And I, I think that's an important thing. Doesn't matter if this other person could do it in a quarter of the time or if they used like the 80 20 principle to like (laughs) get most of the no like at the end of the day you just know the level that you are have to get to and you have to get there Mm -hmm. but when things are going badly and say like it's a beautiful day outside and i don't have to perform soon basically my two strategies are take a little break or play something really fun Mm. like fun and like to take separate different than the thing that I'm working on. Usually for me, that is very simple, beautiful melodies. Like I have a couple etude books, um, a couple of my favorites that are just like really simple, 
very basic melodies that just sound pretty and I'll know, oh, well, this is just a nice way to make a little bit of music and five minutes of this is gonna be a little therapeutic. And then let's like reassess after those five minutes. I love that. I feel like anyone at any level with any practice can apply that. Like what is the equivalent of your beautiful etude that you can fall back on when the other project you wanted to be starting or tackling just isn't going the way you want it to that day. Yes. And I do find, yeah, even back to long tones, it's like, what is the, the, the absolute lowest barrier where you could still get some return? Mm-hmm. And that really, I mean, for us, it could be as simple as buzzing on your mouthpiece. Like you don't even put the instrument together. You're like, okay, I'm just gonna do this. It is something. But if you can even get to long tones, it's like that is something really simple. It it is it's the most basic of the basic and it still counts. So you can always just like start there. It's almost like, yeah, I've thought of those in the context of recovering from injury, for example. Mm -hmm. And it's like, just go to the lowest no, an even lower progression than that. Like, you know, handstands, maybe we're not at a plank yet. So it's like go against the wall. Just as easy as possible, get some work, and then do the next thing. Yeah, like where do you want to be is often a useful question, like setting a goal, but where are you right now Mm. is always a useful question. Um, You talked about pressure a little bit. So like you mentioned deadlines when you have a show coming up or you have something that as a professional you need to prepare for, the decisions kind of get simple, it sounds like. When you're practicing something that isn't, you know, professionally required. Like you developed a pretty high level of handstands pretty quickly as far as I was able to see. Do you use a similar type of pressure in that practice or does it feel like totally different? I'm in hobby mode now. It's not it's not my profession. It's not music. I was thinking about this in the shower yesterday <laughs> cuz I was like I'm talking to Jeremy tomorrow and he's a juggler and then and I don't know. So when I when I was juggling specifically, because there was, I did juggle professionally for a few years, as in did performances for people with a partner, which was, we had a great time. Um, But really, my juggling practice was just like, I just loved it. Mm -hmm. And then in the practice, but then in the practice, I would definitely often have these mini senses of urgency. So it's just like, whether I am going to get this five ball five up pirouette today. Like I know it's close. If this is gonna take me an hour, <laughs> I it might, <laughs> and, but I also feel like I can get it maybe right in the next try. Um, plenty of those, but certain, my tendency, I had a lot of the ones where it's like, and this reminds me of basketball sometimes too, which I, <laughs> I'm sure, it's related to shooting shots, but I'd be like, I really, I'm going to get this trick 10 times mm-hmm. before I leave. And for no reason, <laughs> 10 doesn't matter. It's just a like a construct bullshit number. <laughs> it could be <laughs> 7 or 17. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have a ton of practices where I'd be like, set a mini goal for the next three, five minutes. Or it could could have been something longer, like an hour. Like, I'm going to get this site swap and do it 10 times before I move on to the next part of my practice. And I think those, 
I w- I've talked about this to a bunch of people recently or in the past few years, but I performed with um, with Jacob Collier. Name drop. <laughs> uh, I totally had this in my notes to bring up. You're like stepping on my, my mind-blowing question here. I love it. Yeah, a few um, years ago, right? Yeah. And we, I got to hang with him for a second, and I remember asking him one question because I was, he's completely virtuosic on a level that's hard to describe in music in general and so many instruments and in so many different ways and I was like how do you how do you do this and he said I have no routine at all <laughs> there's never something that I do every day but what I do is have something that I want to accomplish and do the things that I need to to get there so it's like whether that's a really tough solo on the piano or this insane lick on the bass. He's like, I just practiced that. And I've had a hard time implementing that really specifically every day in my practice. But I think there's a lot of value to the idea of being project driven, Hmm. no matter how small the project is. Like if you work towards that and set a mini deadline and saw some progress, I think that's super motivating and just focusing for your practice in general. Yeah, it sounds like the tool for creating that pressure. Like, I don't have a performance coming up. I just need to artificially create this thing where I need to get 10 catches because the imaginary employer or audience is like, you better get 10 catches or you can't move on to the next thing. Yeah, I think it's so... Or, you know, videotaping yourself sometimes and knowing that you have to watch it and it's a disaster so you're like (laughs) want to be better the next time but i do it's like artificially creating pressure i think some of that in your practice is really good just Mm. for development i totally relate to this um i was talking with a handstand client recently about like how we can set up a working set to create a little bit more pressure yes right if you go up assuming that you're just going to have another chance to go up you're going to be less likely to hold the handstand. Whereas if you're on the edge of a cliff, (laughs) you'll be maybe more likely to do your best. Um, But I think some people will probably be listening and not relate to that. It sounds very like type A driven, like kind of hard in mindset. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other practices maybe that you care less about or you're worse at or you're newer with or something where you just kind of like let it happen and you enjoy whatever happens and you don't create that pressure for yourself? Hmm. You can say no. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, there are certain practices, like for me right now, I, I really enjoy playing golf and I really enjoy rock climbing. And there are two things that I feel like I, I know X number of things I could do on a regular basis that would improve these disciplines and I'm not doing them. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, so, and I think there's something I've been thinking, like, again, you just can't do everything. And I'm like, well, there are a lot of things. I could uh, train upper body one less day a week. I could train lower body one less day a week and that would give me like a bunch more hours to devote to, but I don't want to. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> then when I like hit a bad shot or I'm not sending this project or... Uh, yeah, back continuing on bouldering, my fingers are like not, I'm just like, oh, I wish they were stronger. I'm like, well, you're also not spending that much time on this. And (laughs) if you can just like 
enjoy where it is. And I have, it has been a thing for me, which whatever that says about me, I'm like, oh, maybe this can just be a thing that <laughs> I can just like as slow as possible is actually great. There's no competition. I don't have to impress anybody and treat and I actually feel like bouldering, climbing, and I only started uh, when I was 31, like two years ago. I'm 33 now. Is that for me? Just okay. trying to like go as far away from needing to quote unquote progress all the time. I love it. So that reminds me of one of my favorite like reminders to self almost, where once you've practiced anything for long enough, I think it kind of becomes clear that there's an infinite number of things that you can't do, but there's also an infinite number of things that you can do. And what you're describing is like the maturity to appreciate, like you have the confidence that if you practice something, you'll get better at it. And the understanding that if you don't practice something, you won't get better at it. And it sounds so simple, but like, then it becomes clear, where do I want to put my practice, my time and energy and all that? Yeah, I, something something that frustrates me with clients from time to time or some it's, it's people say, I can't do this or I can't do that or I, I'm never going. And I'm like, well, have you spent time consistently working at this over a period of time? And then if the answer is no, it's like, well, you just don't want to or that's not your priority right now, which is all fine. But I think the, those languages do matter in how we, how we talk to ourselves. Yeah, so talk to me about climbing for you. How do you talk to yourself differently about climbing, say, compared to like 17 years of depth of trombone training? With climbing, uh, for me right now, it's often like, yeah, I could spend some more time on this and maybe... I'm probably it would be better. Also, I think my body would break if I just add. So <laughs> that that's like something a hard lesson that I've learned over and over, but think I'm getting better at. It's like, yeah, I can't just like add four days of climbing a week on top of everything. even <laughs> even if I have time, the body has its limits, and I n enjoy these things. And so then when I'm there, I'm like, well, Am I having a good time? <laughs> and uh, that's kind of it. I do have this experience. I also think there's, I think it's so easy in the movement space, in music, in any of these disciplines, especially on social media, you get into this thing and then see how other people uh -huh. are treating these disciplines. And you're like, if I am not doing that, I can't do this. Or... I need to be doing this in order to be the person I want to be. Um, and maybe like a, a classic example, like I need to run to be healthy. But you, there are so many different things to do and to choose uh, that can make you happy. And I think you don't have to do, you can just do things that you want to do. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a powerful sentiment coming from someone who's already talked about trombone, strength training, climbing, juggling, golf, handstands. I'm probably leaving out like three different things. But yeah, you, you can do what you want to do is a nice reminder. And I think especially like one thing I was a bit concerned about in diving into trombone 
is it's not the most accessible practice. Like you need a trombone at the very least. <laughs> I don't know how much they cost. I don't know where to get one. Um, but some other things you've talked about, like you can just do any time and place. So with brass instruments in general or any instruments you've played, do you ever think about, or have you ever like helped people do a version of it that doesn't require having the instrument? Like, is there, can I get like a kazoo and have a similar experience? Mm. I think, you know, like there are, there are a lot of different aspects to music and it kind of is like, what do you want to get out of it? Mm -hmm. And where do you want to go? Like what we were talking about before. Um, so if you're interested in playing in a band, you know, you could start a kazoo band and maybe that really turns you on. And Hell it's yeah. <laughs> really cool. Um, I'm definitely doing that later today. <laughs> but I do what, what I find most with people, especially music is you're like, that instrument does it for me. Like that, oh man, the mm -hmm. sound of that cello, like that was it. And I, I need that. Like that's, and when I talk to my colleagues or kids and they're like, oh my God. And everyone's playing in their whole orchestra and they were like, but the clarinet. And then I am like, well, get yourself a clarinet and take a few lessons because there's something I do think certain kinds of music or certain instruments connect with us on some level and it's worth it. And it's usually, so really my advice there is like, find a really cheap clarinet <laughs> in this case mm -hmm. on eBay, which you can for like 50 bucks. You can decide where to go from there and get yourself a couple lessons with a person who is a professional, even if they don't have to be, you know, principal clarinet of the New York Phil, but someone who could teach and see if you like it. Because I don't think there is any, if the clarinet is what really brings you joy and then you pick up a kazoo you might drop the kazoo because it's not the thing that you were wanting mm -hmm. so i really do think it's worth it and that's why people are like oh i can't sing or i can't could never blah 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 and it's like well just grab an electric keyboard and take lessons for two weeks and see see go from there like give it a shot um because there is something so special even about having these practices for yourself. And then, I mean, similar to all these other practices, you can play music with other people. Mm -hmm. And that's like this whole separate, beautiful thing that is so enriching. Okay, definitely want to dig into both of these things you just brought up. Um, lessons and, and working with a coach of some sort, a teacher, and then interacting with other people. Because a lot of the practices you've talked about are things that can be done on your own and can be done with other people. Mm -hmm. So let's start with coaching and teaching. Do you think that it's always better to either start with a teacher or without for a given practice? Let's let's say, let's talk about music as one practice, even though obviously it isn't. Is it definitely better for everyone to either like tinker on their own or to work with a teacher? Or is there individual variation there? I think the general rule would be that a teacher is better. Hmm. Um, but there are ex like plenty of examples of people doing it the other way. Um, for example, amazing virtuosic musicians, musicians who have can't read music, 
uh, have no interest in learning how to read music, have never studied with a teacher, mm-hmm. any of that, and and vice versa. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, I think the model of like an apprenticeship. So, so I think at a certain point for everybody, mm-hmm. and when I talk about this with strength training, music, any of these things, to watch someone, even if they're not exactly where you want to be, but they're doing this in at a high level and to be around that and have them describe their experience to you, which is coaching, uh, is hugely valuable. And I often say like, can you do this by yourself? And are there YouTube videos? And do you think you would be better if I practiced with you every day for 15 minutes as a professional trombone player starting you off? And it's like, yeah. <laughs> and not everyone can afford that. And so you have to find somewhere. But I, I think it's it's so, it's vitally important. And maybe not for all the reasons that we think it is, like just getting better, but to like, to be exposed to someone's approach at this skill and their thought process behind it is so valuable. And to take some guesswork out because... Yeah, back to the apprenticeship model, I really think a good coach is going to save you time. Then I do like as the to play devil's advocate to that part, I think it can be really valuable to make a ton of mistakes and learn them viscerally <laughs> in yeah. that way that happens when you make a ton of mistakes. But there it's like you also don't have to make every mistake (laughs) and there are some roads you just don't have to go down i think i can jump in as the devil here (laughs) because i actually take a a slightly different line which is cool because like we agree on everything (laughs) so it's nice to find an area where we don't see it the same way i think my personal preference after having practiced a bunch of different skills for so long is to start by tinkering with it myself. Mm -hmm. Like if I can safely approach a puzzle, I want to get the first crack at the puzzle before I get someone else's perspective on it. Mm -hmm. And I guess to be fair, like I do agree with all the benefits you listed about coaching and teaching, Mm -hmm. but there are also costs, right? If someone tells me how to solve the puzzle, I never get that chance back to tinker with it on my own. Mm -hmm. Like once you know the answer to a riddle, you can't unhear that answer Mm -hmm. and so there are definite benefits and you you named a lot of them and maybe if your goal is to be as good as possible as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. you you'd always benefit from a coach but i think there are a lot of goals where you'd be better off not having a coach for some amount of time yeah i i i can't argue with that and that made me think certain things like yeah being a classical musician or something you there are certain things like you have to be kind of immersed in the culture somehow Mm -hmm. and a teacher helps but as a hobby musician or and i was thinking music in this it's like there's so much joy to be had but i think what you were talking about which i i still think or maybe one part of what you were just saying is like that ability to follow your interest like if you want to do it on your own, that's a good sign that you want to do it on your own. Right. So, and you just can. And then if you decide that like you want to get some input or whatever, but I think it's worth 
you don't need to go call up a trombone teacher in order to mess with the instrument for the first time. I think you should literally like, yeah, I don't know if trombone's the best example because like blowing into a trombone is weird and it helps <laughs> to see. But a handstand, for example, like there's a lot of fear mongering, I think, around that when you could just like get up on your hands for a second and see how it goes. Mess with that for a few weeks. Yeah, definitely um, titling this episode, Blowing Into a Trombone is Weird. Yeah. Um, all right, working with other people or playing with other people, practicing with other people, what's an example of one of your practices that you consistently would rather do on your own? And what's one that you would consistently rather do with others? Wow. They are just different experiences um i mean for example on trombone i was like is there ever a time i would just rather be by myself but then i think of a couple times during the pandemic where i get excited about some recording project or just practicing something specific like i i got really into working on a few of the Bach cello suites on trombone and can think of a couple times where you're just in that state, learning, getting better, making progress, feeling good. And I really don't want anybody there mm -hmm. at that time. Maybe, and not even an audience. Like that process that is very fulfilling and different than performance is solitary. Yeah. And then I was last night performing or just rehearsing <laughs> with three other members of my quintet because one member is out of town to make the five. Um, and we were making some music and making some choices and then got to a place at a certain time where you are in a band and communicating very intimately with each other. And it, that that experience is like, it's a top, tippity top <laughs> life thing for me. Like, just put me there at any time. And that's up with the other greatest experiences of life. Like, that's truly wow. how I feel. I love that. That actually brings me to my last set of questions. Mm -hmm. This is like, I didn't, I don't want to, I don't like to over prepare. Like, I don't have a whole like script and a list of every question I'm going to ask. And I won't do that for anyone. But I do have a couple questions that I think I do want to ask everyone who comes on. And the first one is the best feeling possible in your practice. It sounds like you may have just described that. But take any practice that we've talked about, whatever comes to mind. What's like the absolute best feeling, whether it lasts like three seconds or a week? What's the peak? Yeah, um, for me, it's got to be... And I, and I, I can... Uh, yeah, get pretty specific. With my brass quintet, C Street Brass, it's a group of five people who I've known for, most of them over a decade, and we've been playing music for about that long. And then it is this process where, and it takes so much work, <laughs> like <laughs> even, even where we are and when we know it's good and when we're in shape versus like, we have taken a little break and then it's not where it needs to be. But now, okay, we've laid some groundwork and have been rehearsing for like two, two, three weeks, logging some hours. And you start to have the feeling where we're like inside each other's brains. <laughs> <laughs> so like I can feel when my friend Scott is breathing and I know mm. what that means by how he took the breath. 
Um, and then we're playing music. And instead of just like having the satisfaction I was describing of working on the Bach cello suite, it's as if you're doing that as one, as five. <laughs> and that wow. experience, it, that, that, that is my favorite. It's the absolute best. That is so cool. <laughs> I'm glad I have you recorded saying that because I'm going to listen back to that sentence so many times and just have an appreciation for like what the musicians I look up to are actually experiencing when I'm appreciating their music or your music. The one more note on that I'll say, I think it's easy, maybe, or it's something my dad always described to me. Music is communication. Mm. It's like, I, it's, uh, I think like a proxy for language and I think that's such a good way to look at it. There are all these different languages and then different accents and dialects with within each of those. And you learn how to speak these. And it's like, you could be fluent in Mozart, but you don't know Thelonious Monk at all. Like, I don't speak that. And then when we're... So it's this thing, we're having a conversation, <laughs> the five of us together... And then also communicating that with the outside at the same time and feeling that we're really on the same page. That feeling is, that's it. That is so cool. Um, I don't know that I want to go here now, but I want to also ask about the negative. So <laughs> like for me, I immediately, when I said the word negative, I think back to like really frustrating handstand practices. But what is like the biggest frustration that you can... <laughs> tap into obviously you're not trying to but what's the the most frustrating side of of your practice yeah with with, with trombone for me what well, that is the the maintenance required to stay at a reasonable level and i you know i don't necessarily think everybody in the world is this way um like i know some pros who really just do very little but the vast majority just need to be spending a lot of time every day and it's so regimented and that means like oh man i would love to go for a hike on saturday with my girlfriend and then it's like man i need to practice like two i need to put two sessions in for this show a week from today or i'm gonna be behind the eight ball wow and i talk with people who stop and they basically who quit for whatever reason and they're basically like i miss exactly the thing that you described about being in a band and making music and i don't miss the maintenance <laughs> it's the best i feel like i have a different life and i do i'm really like it's like today i'm like i would love to work out can't wait and i just know that i have to put an x number of hours into getting myself to a general level of conditioning to be able to do what i need to do wow that's, I mean, that's like humbling, impressive. That's many things, but it sounds like there's kind of like the baseline grind and then there's the peak experiences that, that come out of that. Yes. Dude, thank you so much for helping me launch Nothing Makes Perfect. The most fitting first guess I could possibly imagine. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll have to talk more. I feel like every one of our conversations is basically a podcast, but I think so too. We'll have to record some more of that. Yep. Thank you. Oh, I had a great time. My pleasure. <laughs>